And I'm Pinky. And you are listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. We are back. We're back, baby! <laughs> uh, yeah, we are well and truly back with season two of our wonderful podcast. And we are bringing you this time round in part a special series that was recorded live in the middle of a field at none other than the fantastic Shrewsbury Folk Festival. We were just so lucky to be able to embrace the festival circuit, to speak and chat to people face to face after recording so much of the podcast online. And we have interviewed some of the most brilliant women on the folk scene. Oh my gosh, yes, to be sat across from people and next to each other while chatting. We think that it's added this like an extra special layer to this season's podcast and we hope that you enjoy it. And with that, we are delighted to introduce our very first guests and that is Becky and Rachel Unthanked of The Unthanks who took the time out of their busy festival schedule to talk to us through the inspiration for their new record, Sorrows Away, the long-anticipated follow-up to their record, Mount the Air. In this interview, they talk to us about their desire to tell stories which feel like a warm hug and that literally drive your sorrows away. Cool. Alrighty. Um, so, obviously your sisters. Um how do you find the dynamics of playing together, working together, kind of impact you, I guess? You know, what the good bits, what the less good bits, potentially? How does it feel to be siblings living, working together as musicians? It's pretty great, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. We get on pretty well. There's a big age gap between us. We have a brother in the middle to fight with, so... Uh, <laughs> that would be helpful. Seven and a half years between us, so we've never like really being competitive as children we always like had that space so we've always had a real it's very boring we've always had a really good relationship (laughs) and so it makes like traveling together and actually sharing our career together really special and it means we've always got somebody you know you've always got your best mate next to you to to share the moment with and with yeah i think at the beginning because we always went out well when we were younger I was quite shy and I wouldn't sing without Rachel. I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't think of why I would want to sing without Rachel. You know, it's something we do. It's like a folky thing, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. something you do together. And um, it, was a, it was a family thing. As I mean, well. I'm over it now. Yeah. I, 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 I like having me on Striking out. <laughs> but like singing in harmony is very much a part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you do much harmony singing I've done I've done a a bit of harmony singing but because obviously as a a solo artist that is challenging (laughs) but also it's just challenging thing to learn Mm -hmm. I was saying to someone the other day that I taught myself to sing harmony to um, a Sex Pistols Mm -hmm. record because my car only had a cassette player and that was the only cassette that Mm -hmm. I had so it's quite an unconventional route so this so what you're saying about singing together and growing together and your voices being almost so intertwined that it felt wrong to part them mm. just feels it's just like the most lovely reflection on strong sisterhood it's just really bringing me a lot of joy <laughs> to hear you talk about well, it well it bring it does bring us a lot of joy mm. and mm. and i think it's been integral to 
to actually it's it's always been a, a thread through our relationship or uh, you know when we were younger the age gap felt a lot bigger didn't mm-hmm. it and um and it's always been something we've done together and I think we're not neither of us are schooled in music or singing and we've always had a trial and error mm-hmm. approach <laughs> to it and I think because we spent so much time together it's not like awkward or embarrassing if you do a, a harmony yeah. that doesn't work and and so we're it's like we're on the same um footing and I think people say oh you know like siblings they can like sibling harmonies or you can like mind read each other but actually it's just about time spent together so you know you begin to anticipate each other's um, feelings or thoughts because you know that person so well and I think it's a bit like it's the same with singing as well like you you end up um, like anticipating each other's phrasing and um, and so I think yeah it's a like and as Becky said singing in harmony together it's it's not embarrassing to try stuff out and it go wrong and um, and it's really fun to sing in harmony. It's mm. like um, it's uplifting and and being a duo, you only have to remember half of the stuff. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's brilliant. I had a shocking thing happen to me a couple of weeks ago. Becky had tonsillitis, and for the first time ever, we did ever, a ever. Unthanks concert without Becky. Oh, first and time I was in like, twenty years. Oh my god, this is taxing. I've got to sing all the words. <laughs> Oh dear me! Did you feel like like you'd had a limb cut? Off? I just kept looking <laughs> to that side and she wasn't there. Where's she gone? She's not there. So not just the songs, but the back. stage choreography. Yes. Up as well. Yeah. <laughs> Come back. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's almost you know you two talk about being sisters in this loving, nurturing, uplifting kind of way, but that's like the antithesis of what the world mm. says sisters are mm. supposed to be like in, you know, even in like fairy tales and, yeah. you know, mythologies, whatever. The two, yeah, sisters. the two sisters are supposed to be at each other. First album is called Cruel Sister. Yeah, I okay. see. But you get it. <laughs> but, but not, you know, yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? Because actually, I think, you know, if you think about school, you, you seek out having a best friend, don't you? And so I don't know why it's painted like that in so many stories when actually in reality, I think we're all seeking out a, a companion, aren't we? Patriarchy. Because who's writing the stories and telling them? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. until now, the time the times are changing. So, um, if I think we need to rewrite the cruel sister ballad, where they actually help each other out rather than uh, kill each other for a man. That's, That's a good idea. Yeah. We We've had probably a crack been at it on one of the first episodes, didn't we? I, I did oh. a, a reworking, but I think the unthanks version would be so much stronger coming from real sisters there'd be just this like power and knowledge that you just have like you said because you've just got this symbiotic singing as if you would drown your sister for a man (laughs) (laughs) but you think the men like to think that they would (laughs) yeah yeah So obviously there's more than just you two in the band. How does, you know, that dynamic, your closeness, it being called the unthanks, you being the unthanks, um, you know, how, how does that sort of play out? I think you better ask them, really. I know, I, don't I don't know the answer to this question yeah. because... And we just see it from our perspective, don't yeah. we? Maybe we're, is, are we a bit impenetrable? I don't know, I hope not. <laughs> like, I seem you know to get I mean? on with them. 
Ever we see, I mean, we get on with the whole, but we've got a very nice band, I have to say. Everybody's yeah. a lot of fun, and um, you know, the core band as well, mm. which is um, um, Adrian McNally and Nathan Keegan and Chris Price. We're just a bit like a family, slight dysfunctional family. Mm. Me and Adrian were married, we're not anymore. Uh, we still get on. Chris is like his brother, really, that lived down the street. Nathan is like an extra adopted sister that our whole family have decided, including our parents. Do you think all bands are like a dysfunctional family? Yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have to travel together and like, yeah. kind of, you know, be vulnerable with each other because mm. you're being creative and... You just spend so much ridiculous amount of time together that only ever do that as a in a family setting. So I think you're right. And I think maybe because we are family, we like to make, who you know, whoever's in our band, we like to get to know them and be friends with them and you <laughs> know them part of our family yeah so i don't know yeah i don't know you have to ask them yeah we <laughs> will we'll be like oh sisters <laughs> but i guess you know the other thing and i wonder sometimes if that links to this kind of sense of family because i do think having grown up in the north and then lived in the south there's a very different sense of family and how it exists and obviously your music is heavily influenced by your northern heritage how does that play out like why is it important to reflect that heritage within what you do i think to start with it was it was just what we knew you know we were um singing songs that we heard our dad and mum and family and um and the other people that they sing with the local the people in our area so um we were singing songs that we were was really fond of and meant something to us and wanted to sing to other people and tell those stories to other people it just really felt really natural to to like to to go to those that material first we grew up in a clock dance team as well so we like do Northumberland and clock Durham style clock dancing and so it, it is very much part of the fabric of our childhoods and I think as we've gone on like we have realized we ha- we do still try and um, maintain that link um though because it feels like um it does feel like important mm. to to kind of represent our little area of home and it gives you i think it gives us a sense of place and yeah. uh, i suppose through songs you learn about the history of the area as well and the people of that area and it makes us feel connected to where we are and um, yeah and we you know obviously folk song and most people sing in their own vernacular and and so it's nice to be able to do that as well and use your dialect and use your accent and so we're still drawn to 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 those things that are familiar and I think as as an unthanks fan and watching the amazing successes that you've achieved in the way that you've all pushed the boundaries I think of 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 folk music and also just how far the scene perceived we could go you know you guys I think it's official we can say have crossed over (laughs) (laughs) have crossed over you know but uh but but still as you say have maintained the very roots that give not only your music authenticity but but allow you to know that you're expressing authentically mm-hmm. right so has it been kind of interesting taking clog dance and traditional tales to you know non-folky audiences do you notice a difference i do the one thing that you notice the most is how excited people are by clog dance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
really should hard. do more of that. It's like, well, for a start, we're not fit enough. Secondly, <laughs> you would get bored by the third clog dance. <laughs> Just that little burst of it, like, like goes down well, doesn't it? No matter where we are in the world, that clog dancing is the highlight of the performance. We do just need to sack it in and get fit and become clog yeah, dancers. Full time. That's it. Three songs. The rest of the set is clog dancing. <laughs> I love that I do love that actually we, again that's something we've done since we were kids never thought I'd be on a big stage on Jules Holland clog dancing you know at the proms doing a bit of clog dancing it wasn't it wasn't all you know it just isn't yeah I didn't think about it but I do love that we can we can just we can do that and go oh look what else there is from this area and you know this is another tradition we have and be able to like just show a little bit of a window on that on that it makes me proud and that's how we when we were kids that's how our family would get to festivals for free really because we'd be part of the dance team and we'd come and dance or my dad would be stewarding or working behind the bar or something so it's all it's like part of our journey as well isn't it because that that was why we made a duo in the first place was so we could go to festivals for free As well. well, it worked out well, worked I would right. say. It's been a dream. Really, as we sit here recording this at Shrewsbury Folk Festival, because yeah. it'll be people will be listening to this in the winter, but we're in a really warm room with very slouchy sofas. Yes, yes. <laughs> decorations. We did spend a bit of time earlier going, are we allowed in there? Can we? It's so, a very yeah. festively looking room. There's bunting and like paper rosettes. Yeah, I mean, I think vibes. it is part of the bar. Thankfully. And you found <laughs> a quiet place at a folk uh, festival. Yeah, that's which amazing. is almost unheard of, I think. There's always <laughs> something going on at a folk festival. People but yeah, we have a pocket. Unless they hear some jingling Morris dancing bells go past. <laughs> I might have true. to add it later. If you see a Morris dancer, get them in here. That's soon. Um, <laughs> um, so we wanted to talk to you about the, the fact that, yeah, I think sadly is the right thing to say. Um, thanks are one of the few female-fronted or female acts that can headline a big folk festival like this or do headline a big folk festival like this in this country. And we just wondered if you had any reflections on what it's like to be up there with limited contemporaries. Of course, they are there, um, but, you know, not at the same um, equal number to the male acts that would get booked. And what do we do to address this issue it's it's interesting it's, we hadn't, yeah it made us just thinking you posing the question and made us think about it a little bit and I think we are like we are very conscious of like our band it's not just you know quite sometimes you have uh, female singers and then the band male so we try hard for that not to be the case as well we have we have let some men in we have because they're really good but <laughs> like, well, we used to be an all time we have to it's all right we're still, <laughs> still heavily outnumbered and we were we are like proud to have like we just like all like our string quartet are all mm-hmm. all female and like you know in their 40s and it's like oh i, I look around juggling on stage and i'm like yeah juggling kids and and like oh yeah this is cool i'm glad that, that do you we're feel all like that together. was a really deliberate decision when you were looking to put the yes band it is it is we do definitely um like to keep our band female strong and um because i think partly because you're right you don't see it so um, it must be isolating to be a solo artist. Like we are, s- are so lucky that we have mm-hmm. each other. Um, you know, arriving at festivals, arriving at venues, at gigs. Like it's not 
as intimidating for us as I imagine it might be if I was on my own. Um, so I think we've sort of been sheltered in a way from yeah. those experiences. And but um, but I think you're right. Like what it, it is an imbalance, and what do we do about it? Ask I mean, festival organisers to book more women. Like talk about it. Tell like. I think it. pointing it out is a really good thing to do. And I, I know I don't know right now, but I know that in the past, like a long time ago, and I don't know if this is other people's experiences, but but I know that in the past when we first started out, that our agent would be told that you know, oh, we've already got a female act. And it's like, well, we're not one. We're not. One. We're not a genre. Yes. We're just, you know, not half of the genre. population. Actually, slightly more. So, um, <laughs> so I think it is something to be conscious of and 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 to raise. And it's good to talk about and and just point out. <laughs> yeah. And and I think you know also it's good to do things like this and to, to get women talking to each other. We were chatting before about how when you're on the road, actually, it is, you just you don't see other, other bands, you're just off on your own. And, and sometimes it, there isn't a chance to be able to, to, to get together and, and share your kind of experience of the music industry or just share your experience of being a musician or be a female musician and, and what challenges that and juggle juggling skills that needs and it is good to to like find places to talk about it which you were doing so hooray <laughs> to you <laughs> well we're really glad that you've come to talk to us mm. about it i think conversation get boring if it was just me and you thinking yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know that that being said i think one of the things we have talked about across the podcast is you know we interview lots of different women in folk music and actually the themes that come through are broadly similar, you know, they're different yeah. for lots of women, but actually mm-hmm. lots of women individually are talking about the same things, and yet there isn't this wider collective conversation, so I think you're on to something in that, yeah. like, how do we get women together talking I mean, about I think this? it's coming, isn't it, with Esperance and Bit Collective doing incredible work, particularly addressing um, issues within the industry, I just think there isn't a lot of that stuff that's audience facing mm-hmm. right now but obviously the podcast is and it's an opportunity for um audiences to kind of demand better because it's quite hard to do that isn't it when you're as you mm-hmm. say when you're busy making the music yeah, and making it work and mm-hmm. juggling tour life and mm-hmm. band of 11 plus everybody's mm-hmm. partners and children and all that logistics you know there isn't always time to then you know flag down the organizer and say actually i've looked at the bill yeah. and have you have you checked out the um the key change pledge that you made and all this kind of stuff yeah. so i think it's the often the power is in the audience's hands and I also was reflecting on this issue of why more men headline and somebody even suggested to me, well, it's because they often make music that's more driving, you know, music that you'd want to headline a festival. And I was thinking there's a lot of issues with this in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. a lot of issues with this. But additionally, if we are really putting it down to um, that people want driving music, then surely it starts much earlier about what? what instruments we put in the hands of yes. women yeah. and also just that that it seems to be that storytelling isn't valued as highly generally mm-hmm. but the, but obviously unthanks are a perfect example of headlining a festival without it needing to be like loads of crazy driving tunes yeah. you know mm-hmm. storytelling has its place up there mm-hmm. and women have their place up there as mm-hmm. well so yeah that was kind of 
when we wrote that question, I was really intrigued mm. to see what you'd say because I think there's, there are just so many routes to improving it, but it's really hard mm. to know where to begin. Yeah, isn't there? totally. I, I, I'm kind of surprised that we headline a festival, any festivals, because of the type of music that we play. You know, <laughs> it's like it's slow, and not all of it, but it's you know, it's melancholy. And and when I see little kids in the audience watching us, I'm like, oh yes, there is a place for it actually, because. You know, I love dancing and, you know, um, driving music. Like I know what you mean as you put it um, as well, but I like a story uh, ever since I was little and a dark story, a complex story. And it's not just to think that that's not too complicated. It's not when you, when it, I think when it's the right song, it's told in the right way. And I wonder if it's partly, as you say, what instruments are we putting in kids' hands, but also... If, if there are more stories about women being the main character in that story, then that will help kids to imagine like that they could be that you know the, mm. the singer in that band or the musician in that band or or the the, the, the lead in their own story, I suppose. Yeah. So I think stories is is really key. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that's also, I mean, that's part of what you do as well, right? And your storytelling mm-hmm. and your songwriting, you know, you've very deliberately made choices mm-hmm. to, you know, make albums from women's perspectives mm-hmm. or, you know, retell historical events, you know, from perspectives that are often missing or lost from mm-hmm. stuff, which I'm assuming, again, is quite a deliberate choice to give time to those. Yeah, I think I think it just felt natural to as you know as women to seek out a woman's voice um and, and not even consciously to begin with you know it's just that you're drawn to something that you feel like you could relate to or that you, you know that um yeah but we that yeah you feel like you could tell that story that you could be that person telling that story and um and I, I don't think it's prohibitive you can tell a, a story from a man's point of view and but 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 yeah, well, we, are, we often haven't. We don't. We do. We've we always do been as to. like, as you say, like instinctively, Inclined, not yeah. consciously at the beginning, uh, told women's stories because we're women. <laughs> and then, and then I think more consciously as we've gone through our career, it's like actually, what other texts is there out there, or what other stories is there out there? And I think doing the Lillian Balocca mm-hmm. album, uh, so Maxine Peake wrote a play for whole city of culture about Lillian Balocca and the headscarf revolutionaries and um, asked us to do the music for it and uh, find just being able to make that connection with Maxine and with with Hull like what a brilliant place Hull is and to hear about these women like it made me feel more connected to to the world and to the past and and like so great to be able to, able to tell, tell those her strong, story those strong stories from a woman's perspective and I think we do seek it out like doing the Molly Drake um, album as well that was like to suddenly be shown this wealth of material from a woman's perspective that mm. I was so full of wit and humour and philosophy and heartache and everything you know it just felt like an absolute gift it's like wow look at all of these songs that like I want to tell them all you know and again with Emily Bronte as well when we were asked to bring uh, to write music which actually it was Adrian our piano player who wrote the music as the piano player um, on Emily's actual piano which was um, a real treat for him mm-hmm. but it, it is um, it's great to be able to because we're always searching for more 
um, great stories to tell from a woman's perspective. So it has become something that, yeah, we definitely, like it's a choice, we want to, we want to do that. This might be a weird question to ask, but what's going through my mind is how does it feel when you sing those songs? Do you, like, is there a sense of, you know, like, honour to tell the stories, or do you feel that you sort of embody the character, the unthanks, as, as, as a band and the body of work of your music? Storytelling, as you've rightly said, has always been that, that core mm-hmm. to what you share, so... So yeah, what I suppose what's your approach to telling and sharing those stories in a, in a live setting? That's not a weird question. Okay, <laughs> like, tell me how does it feel, oh, darling? <laughs> well, I think like it does feel. I think it's a responsibility mm-hmm. to tell like the stories of Lillian Balocca or to to you know Nick Drake, so famous or you know Nick Drake's mum. Um, to sing her songs and I think the only way that I I don't want to speak for you Mm -hmm. but um, we slash I know um, (laughs) how to do it is to try and connect to to the words and to who that person was and and that's that's like the only that's my only power I think Mm -hmm. is to try to connect with them and then to pass on their their story to the audience, or mm-hmm. we're like just like a vessel, really, aren't yeah. we? To try and yeah, uh, is that the right word? Yeah, vessel? that's a really good way of, of, of explaining it. I think yeah, because I think even you know we don't just sing a song just because a woman wrote it. You still got to have a connection to to the feeling or the story and feel like you might be able to to tell that story yourself somehow and um and then they take on a new like like yeah. the molly drake songs especially mm-hmm. they t- took on and uh, uh, and i mean uh, we don't know why why she wrote them what she wrote them about and so i think we found you know we was going through different things in our personal lives at different mm-hmm. stages of projects and i think that those songs particularly um, struck a nerve with both of us and and people in the audience as well would come up and start telling us about their lives and it's like oh great the power of this woman's these this woman's songs mm. has connected us to these people and it's mm. like opened up mm. this kind of space for mm-hmm. um for people to talk yeah. and i love that that's like my favorite thing about it all i think I just want to cry. <laughs> just, You've gone. I just looked at you. I'm gone. As if I couldn't like love your music more. Uh-huh. Um, but do you know what's funny? It's I was thinking, women often do that, right? Seek out other women's songs or you know highlight their stories. But also, I think it's perfectly permissible, particularly in the folk industry, to sing songs that were penned by men or from a men's perspective. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work the other way around. Mm. Where are the men singing the stories of women? Oh, I'm going to have to go and have a research now. Yeah. And how would we feel about it if they did, I guess, yeah. you know? But then sometimes they're like... So I write, I sing a song on this new album, actually, that I've always sung since I was a teenager, um, called the Sandgate Dandelion Song. And I love it because I feel like it's a real slice of life and um, it's about the wife of a keelman, or I should say a woman who is married to a keelman. <laughs> and... Um, and she, it's a dandling song, means you've got a baby on your knee. Yep. And you're singing, she's singing this song. And, you know, there's domestic violence within it. And I've all, always felt like there's a lot of colours to be able to explore as a performer in it. And we've always f- 
really pleased that eventually we found a way to, to do it as a band because I've always sung it on my own. But it's written by a man, actually. It's written by a blind fiddle player from Gateshead called wow. Bobby Noon or Billy Noon. I sometimes get mixed up. Could be neither. Could be either. 18, <laughs> sorry. Um, I think it's Bobby. I, I think it's Bobby Noon in the late 1900s. So it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes, I know what you mean about performing, yeah. but sometimes they are written mm. by, by yeah. men. So it is... Um, yeah, I'm worried that that might be almost too sweeping because I it think I be. think they're there. And if you think about like, in particular, the songwriters that are out mm. there, I think that people are looking for the looking for those stories. But I think, as you say, perhaps perhaps naturally, we are led to the stories that are most reflective of mm. our own experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whichever, whichever experience we are walking, of course. Mm. Um, so you mentioned the new album. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little about that, what people can expect. And, of course, you're going to be hitting the road this autumn to share it. Yeah. Well, we've actually already toured it a bit because we, uh, we had finished making it, but it wasn't quite ready to be pressed. It's not, so it's, it's released in... in in October and we're going to go back on, on the road again and tour it but it's been a real joy to be able to get out and sing and perform again obviously and quite emotional I think a lot of performers found that that like just being in a room with lots of people and making those connections again has been quite overwhelming and emotional but actually this album is musically thematically it's not quite as dreary as the classical <laughs> thanks album <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry. worry. I mean, we don't haven't worry. gone party. Don't worry. We'll die in the first song, yeah. so, you know, okay. fine. Um, <laughs> but I think when we were making the album, we were... Because um, I have no desire to make a fun album. Sometimes <laughs> Rachel talks about having, having an, an alternative band, band yeah. and I'm like, I'll come and watch you, but I just can't be in it. <laughs> but um, I think when we were looking for material, we were in, in, locked, in and out of lockdown and we just like weren't drawn naturally to the same kind of depth of meaty material. Um, as I'm saying that, it's kind of not true. kind of not true. But we so weren't sure of the path mm. and um, we started talking about the song Sorrows Away, which everyone in the fort well knows and sings and we sang it like all our lives but I would never have considered recording it because it's just you know one of those songs and um, and then we just kind of floated the idea that actually singing our sorrows away was what we needed to do and what we wanted to put out there so like actually we we will sing record sorrows away and then once we made that decision it there was kind of there was a theme and a, a sigh of relief that we had a path and so there is some there's some hope on this album we, do, we were just some kind hopes. of drawn to songs that gave us comfort in way yeah. that, that reminded us of singing with other people like we run singing residential holidays um in the winter and we'll have done for that we had done for the last 10 years before the pandemic we were about to we missed them for two whole years and it was such a um about to bring them back so we're quite excited about that but we, it was such a hole in our yeah i mean so many other things as well but like it, we knew it already but we it was reinforced how much we get from singing with other people so some of those songs songs that remind us of singing with other people yeah like the great silky of yeah. is one that we've taught a lot um, in harmony and then i've got so many memories of being on the beach and singing with those people to the sea singing that song and 
Um, so yeah, I think. And then, it, and then there's the waters of time. Yeah, for you. like yeah, which is a song we learned at school, and you know, again, it was like, what? Why would I record waters of time in a way everybody is no? Like, I learned that at these, school. Yeah, well, exactly. About everybody it, knows it. <laughs> but it's a song that's always been like. It's always on the tip of my tongue, and I live mm. by the time. I mean, the kids like explored the river more in lockdown because we couldn't go to places, so we just put our wellies on and caught fish and climbed out to the islands. And you know, Amazing. and it made me think about how it connected me to where I grew up and on to Newcastle, where lots of my friends and family live, and then onto the coast where my mum lives, and how rivers and uh, like pathways that connected to other people so songs like that kind of took on new resonances that be- weren't there for me before and and so just th- that gives gave me comfort and it just felt like oh now's the time to do that song so there's lots of little connections like that across across the um the, yeah there's across the album so yeah a little hope dispersed amongst the misery <laughs> <laughs> but needed probably if you're recording yeah. it in the middle of a lockdown i think yeah. it's interesting isn't it you speak to some people who just say that I had nothing creative at all during lockdown it was just too much other stuff too much homeschooling going on (laughs) too much homeschooling for a start for most people (laughs) but you know so to be able to do that but to say like actually we're going to start picking out the songs that actually Mm. connect us back to our roots I think yeah oh it just sounds beautiful we rehearsed when we were you know when you could like meet somebody for a walk so me and Becky would like on the day where I wasn't homeschooling um I would meet Becky in the in the woods near her house, and we would like have a sing, you know, and start Aww. working on harmonies for the album. <laughs> you can't get more live than that, can you? That's no. luscious. <laughs> so nice. But it was such it was a cold. relief. It was pretty cold. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? In twenty years' time, they'll be the songs that we're singing, won't they? Like, we forget mm. what it was like. And in a way, you've kind of encapsulated that into an album mm. that will always draw you back to it. Mm. Like, I think already I'm starting to forget. It's working. Just the joy singing. in the little yeah. moments, almost, mm. as you say, walking the river or exploring where you live. Mm. Noticing things you'd mm. walk past a million times because mm. there was nothing to do but stop and look yeah. at that tree on your street. Or yeah. yeah, the seasons. I've never really seen the seasons change. In my garden. I saw <laughs> flowers I'd never seen before because yeah. I'm never there in the spring. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your residential workshop and I wanted to ask you about the Unthanks Club and um, <laughs> ways that like your, your fans support you. <laughs> The Unthanks Club is new. It's new. Oh, it's a new thing. Oh, okay. So, so we're still working out what yeah, it yeah, is. What it, but yeah. we, I suppose. But we want to join. I mean, that's that's <laughs> decided. So <laughs> join, and then we'll think of something to actually put on it. <laughs> no, 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 no we, <laughs> there, there are things on it. Right? Well, it's partly because um, when in lockdown we couldn't do our residential singing weekends and we couldn't walk on the beach and sing in the pub together. We were like, what are we going to do? We'll have to do something. How so, are we going to earn money? How are we going to like do something creative to like connect us with people? And, and keep that kind of, keep the, that community together as well. And because yeah. um, we've got such strong bonds with people that come on our, our weekends and, and they have with each other, you know. Um, yeah. And so we did an online festival two years running and um and we got them to like go got people to go out and like film themselves singing on a walk and then so there was like 
loads of footage of people singing in different places and allotments and on walks and it was so beautiful but we also did a lot of podcasts which we'd never done before it was terrifying <laughs> so difficult so hard well done guys <laughs> so we, when we did loads um like talking to our family and i can't remember now we did loads we of things with kenzie crock about wurzel about wurzel gummage and like friends like lucy farrell He's a singer, and um, we interviewed her, and we talked about our albums yeah. and singing weekends, and yeah. So some of that stuff is on the Unthanks yeah, yeah. Club, like, um, mm-hmm. but we just thought we do we like a gang, don't we, Rach? So we just <laughs> like to start like a little gang, and then we thought we'll like put some content on it, and uh, it's a way of reaching people in a different way when we're not, especially as we're, you know we've got families and. If we can't always be going out on tour anymore, so it's a, another way to to reach people, I suppose. But yeah, any suggestions? <laughs> what should happen in the club? Do you want stickers? <laughs> stickers. Yeah. What stickers. did you get like an old school ones? You know, like if you sent off to be in the badge. Spice Girls Club badge, or whatever. Maybe. Badge, yeah, badges. Did you smoke busters? Did you have a smoke buster? What? You were a smoke buster. <laughs> about you did you join any clubs i think it was just the spice girls fan club what did you get yeah i did you got like posters and stuff Mm. but the world's different now and and like you say lots of artists are realizing after the pandemic Mm. that i I think in some ways it's a good break from that tour Mm. album tour album tour album Mm -hmm. thing to learn that there are other ways that your audience Mm. actually do want to connect with you Mm -hmm. that don't require you to be out on tour Mm. with your small humans and and Mm. all that kind of stuff and um where was it going with this thought, Pinky? Help me. So I wonder if there's something about the like the bit that people got to connect with is that like real person stuff. So lots of people doing gigs from their homes and like mm. the art around the art almost. Mm. So the poems or the drawings or the mm. like liner note scribbles or whatever that you might, you know, when you're carving out a song that you might put down. Yeah, it's like powering creativity generally, isn't there? Mm. And I think like quite often as musicians, we wait for that polished end product, don't we? The mm. album, mm. the show being fully rehearsed mm. and all that kind of stuff. But actually, like I think you're right, people do seem to be connecting out there with the less polished, more real I've stuff. Got, yeah, my, I've got friends who always say like, it's like, oh, I forgot my words tonight. And they were like, that's the best bit. And I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> that's the worst bit. And they're like, no, but you didn't do that last night. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. I believe you, but it's a vulnerability for yeah. like, the artist, though, isn't there? To yeah. to share those things mm. and to like let things go before they're ready. That's like hard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at that. Mm. We like to rehearse a lot. Yeah, we do. We rehearse a lot. <laughs> we, have, we have to. Otherwise, we're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a plan that works. <laughs> I don't think 
think anyone will believe that really but, um, it's been an absolute pleasure oh. to speak with you both thank you so much for lending your voices and experiences to this little podcast and um, we wish you best of luck for your show this evening and the tour to come thank you, thank you. thanks for having us we like to chat so yeah anytime <laughs> anytime <laughs> they said anytime <laughs> And of course, you can catch the Unthanks live on their current tour. They are visiting Chester at the Story House on the 19th of October, the Buxton Pavilion Arts on the 20th of October, Manchester Band on the Wall on the 21st of October, and finishing off with two shows at Queen's Hall in Hexham on the 23rd of October. For more information, visit the-unthanks.com. Oh, we're going to be with you all winter, so you'll be able to make a cuppa and cosy up with more tremendous chats from fabulous females on the folk circuit. So make sure you sign up to our mailing list to find out when the next episode will drop. We'll be chatting with Della May, Token Women and Sound of the Sirens to name but a few of the artists who will be gracing this season's podcast. Until then, take care. Ooh. This podcast was a Betty Beetroot production. Ooh.